Hello and welcome to the Bristol to Beijing podcast. I'm Luke Grenfellshaw and I'm cycling from Bristol to Beijing on my tandem Chris. I left Bristol in January 2020 and it's fair to say it hasn't been straightforward so far. As I continue my expedition, I want to share the journey with you. And each episode, I'll be sharing my thoughts and experiences from the past week on the road. And occasionally, I'll also be chatting with someone who can shed some light on the country I'm in as I try and understand the world a little better. So, without further ado, what's happened this past week? night ago we spoke and you were in Tbilisi capital of Georgia you're now in Baku the capital of Azerbaijan so what's happened over the past fortnight obviously you've traveled quite a long way you're absolutely right Kate what has happened is I spent 700 k's on the bike between Tbilisi and Baku climbed most of Mount Everest there were a good few days with some serious climbing and I've been very fortunate to be joined by a great friend Pippa who has come along for the ride over to Baku so a big old stretch and Chris was definitely appreciating the extra pedal power. Before we chat about Azerbaijan where you are at the moment you spent quite a few weeks in Georgia what are your final thoughts about Georgia? Yeah it's really interesting looking back because like everyone listening to the podcast will remember that I put Tbilisi up on this really high pedestal of like a a city that I was really looking forward to going to. And I got there, I was a little bit disappointed um, because it just didn't wow me. I think it wasn't bad, but it didn't um, have the sort of cute streets that I was expecting to find. But what I over time really came to appreciate and love is the incredible variety of things that you can do in Tbilisi. And then I think also more generally in Georgia. So there are, it's possible to go trail running from uh, basically the center of Tbilisi within 10 minutes, you're on these hills right above Tbilisi, looking down at its not particularly pretty sort of Lego set aesthetic, but that aside, you're in the hills, you're on trails, not tarmac. Mm. And I absolutely love that. And then the other thing I've, upon more reflection come to really admire about Tbilisi are the number of really interesting bars and cafes that uh, each have their own very in um, their very own distinct character so there aren't any chains there are almost zero chains but and each place kind of feels quite different and actually when you compare that back to like the UK you have your weather spoons in like kind of everywhere but often many places feel much of a muchness and that actually isn't something that was true in Tbilisi every place seemed to have its own character is it hard when you go to visit somewhere that's a bucket list place to then find things that are maybe not so enjoyable about that country yeah well I suppose one thing that I didn't quite get along with so well in Tbilisi was the attitudes of the drivers. It didn't matter for most of the country, but in Tbilisi, the roads aren't actually narrow. They're slightly windy, but they're relatively wide. There tend to be cars parked on either side. But what drivers do is when it comes to a narrow point in the road, they accelerate. And so actually just walking around the streets of Tbilisi was slightly stressful at times. Like it was all mm. good fun and games, but it was so interesting. The mentality of the drivers of like, right, if I see a small gap, I'm going to bomb for it. And I'm going to make sure the pedestrians like jump to the side. Um, it wasn't always that bad, but it certainly made, um, yeah, g- going and buying some apples and, you know, some sparkling mineral water a little bit more 
um, hairy at times. So that was one thing that sort of was, felt a bit unnecessary and was only a big mm. contrast when I came to Azerbaijan, which is quite different. Okay. And obviously you crossed the border into Azerbaijan, which is quite an unusual thing to be doing at the moment, given that COVID has closed so many borders around the world and put restrictions on people's movement. What is it like crossing the border from Georgia into Azerbaijan, particularly because you're in one country and then immediately you're in the other? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. And I feel so, so lucky to be able to cross borders. And it isn't trivial. I don't take it. I don't take it for granted. And I'm very aware that I've had to get both into Georgia and Azerbaijan and probably for the onward countries as well. I've had government support and it's been ministry officials who have got behind the ride and said, we are going to we're going to invite Luke in. And actually, without those officials, and when I was trying to get through into Hungary way back in September 2020, I didn't have anyone on my side in the ministry. And that meant I just couldn't get into the country. Luckily, I could take a detour. Here, I cannot. So it's made a fundamental difference that having the support of government, I've been granted visas. And then, yeah, when you cross a land border, it's totally different from flying from one international airport to another, and usually from one capital or major city to another, you kind of are much more in a bubble of globalization and you know wealth, I suppose. Whereas often when you're crossing land borders, you're going from the back end of nowhere to the back end of somewhere else. And <laughs> you, you see sort of um, much more, much starker changes, I suppose. And that's been really interesting. But to cross the border itself, it's, it's always quite a fun process because you just mm. have to e- accept that you have to cede all control. You give over your passport. You're told to mm. stand. And we were told to stand. And, you know, some guy in military fatigues walks off. He's there for five, ten minutes. He'll come back. He'll just look at you for a bit. You look back at him. But for me, getting angry and going, oh, so where's my passport? It's all just part of the game that you just have Mm -hmm. to wait for as long as it takes and you know luckily we probably didn't wait more than 10 minutes at the Azri border but you know whilst you're waiting you're kind of like Mm. how long am I going to wait is there going to be some problem there's a guy with a big gun over there there's actually a few of them you know like this could go badly wrong even though you have a visa so it's never something again I take for granted but thus far the border crossings have been fine it's amusing to think about and like across the border and they're like, do you have, do you have any alcohol and cigarettes? And I was of course like, no, give the minimum amount of detail possible. Mm. Does the adrenaline start running when you're standing there waiting? Not too much. I think it might've done at one point. And if things start to go a little bit sort of downhill, then I think that can be a tendency. But this is something I learned from Ollie Broadhead, which was back when we were doing Facing Up and I t- spoke to him when I, he joined on the bike for a day in Austria. Mm. And his advice was, you know, when you're in a sticky situation traveling, you know, just smile, be as friendly as possible, be as nice as possible. Don't be that British dick. Mm. Just trying to be nice and accepting that sometimes you have to do things by other people's rule book. Yeah, that's part of the, the game. So what has the past week or so been like whilst you've been cycling through pretty much the entire of Azerbaijan from sort of west to east? Yeah, that's right. And then also a good chunk of starting kind of a little bit more southerly and then going north into the foothills, which took us through a lot of climbing, which 
actually chris did surprisingly well on and i think that's also because pippa was putting in the power and you know i was just like taking a break on the front but um (laughs) (laughs) i think that there were a few things that really stood out to me as being very typically azuri or very distinctively azuri traits and the first is just the incredible welcome that we received everywhere like the first morning we set off from Gazak, which is a this t- small town in the far west of Azerbaijan. And by the end of exiting that town, basically my arm was tired from the number of times <laughs> I'd waved to people and said, Salam, that everyone's like, Salam, Salam. It felt like every single person, and I'm almost not exaggerating, like 80, 90% of the people waved mm-hmm. at us said salam hello and like a very good number like stop 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 have tea with us Mm. unbelievable and I think it put into perspective you know as a British person I I don't think that I am a particularly closed person I think in general we don't kind of think oh we're we're really we're really closed but when you go to somewhere else where the mentality isn't just if I see someone and they smile at me I'll smile back or if someone says hello to me, I might say hello back. It's you see someone admittedly on a pink tandem and you're like <laughs> waving and saying hi. And there was just a level of spontaneous interaction. Some guys would like run alongside. And my favorite moment was we are cycling along and this guy is driving from a side road to join the main road. He catches sight of us and his face just breaks into this huge smile, this beaming smile at the site. And just people expressing their emotions and warmth so readily I thought was superb and I feel we've got so much to learn from that to be honest. Mm, Definitely. What else was there about Azerbaijan that was particularly different maybe from your time cycling through Georgia? Well I guess two things come to mind at this point. First of all picking up on the point of the drivers in Tbilisi being pretty sketchy at times. Mm -hmm. In Azerbaijan they're lovely. Like it's okay. the number of times I've had a close overtake, I can probably count on one hand. And this is including lorries, is including on equivalent motorways. Yeah. You know, people are very respectful and they don't rush. Even in Baku, there's none of this like really dodgy, like overtaking and weaving and winding, which can be fun in its own way. But the drivers have been super respectful, mm. better than large parts of Western Europe. So, wow. Okay. Kudos. But the other thing that was just incredibly noticeable, it's not true at all in Baku. It's not so true in Ganja, which is the second city. But through the vast majority of time that we are cycling across Azerbaijan, we saw almost no women. Maybe 90% of the people we saw were men. Okay, wow. Occasionally we saw a couple of women walking together or a woman with her child, but in all... Even in like cafes or if you stop yeah. for meals yeah absolutely so the cafes the tea houses the chai evies they mm. they're a male zone you are a guy if you are in that tea house and you drink tea and you maybe play backgammon yeah and in that you know the kebab shops there are no women n- not making the kebabs and serving the kebabs and not not eating them so it was a bit of a mystery where the women are and I think they're at home probably cooking and doing housework. How did that feel for you? Um, it was quite disconcerting. It was a very striking 
imbalance and it made mm. me think that there's a whole other narrative and story that I'm not seeing and I would struggle to hear about particularly mm. being a guy I think I can't just go in but in other ways I think it didn't affect me as much I think than as Pippa because the guy still treated me just like an, a normal guy mm. and so I think that interaction was less noticeably different but it's weird when you're in a town and you stop and we had some wonderfully helpful taxi drivers. And I should say all the men, as far as I could tell, were really warm, really, really Mm. helpful. Didn't feel threatened at all. Wasn't like a kind of toxic, edgy thing in any way. Mm. Doing everything they could to help us. But yet when you've only got men surrounding you, taking interest in the bike, you're like, how different would this be? I suppose. And the unknown unknowns. Okay. And you said there were two things in particular that you noticed. Well, I suppose one one was the drivers, the other was the woman. Okay. But I'll give yeah. you a bonus one, and that's that all coffee disappeared. Oh. Terribly sad. How did you survive? I didn't. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, no, just, just tea houses. So very much there's the close links between Turkey and Azerbaijan and part of that is certainly reflected in the tea culture almost no coffee exception being here in Baku where in the last two or three years it's exploded but on the road just tea houses so I was pretty tired for basically two weeks or so because there just wasn't the caffeine yeah. wasn't the caffeine except caffeine withdrawal time that said there was instant coffee and I held out for about 10 days and then I cracked and I started mm. drinking instant so it it had to be done <laughs> So you're now in Baku. Obviously, you're going to be there for a little bit longer. But what are your first impressions of Baku? I didn't have that many preconceptions, which I think is really good when you go anywhere. Mm. My preconceptions went about as far as there are these flame towers, these very sort of futuristic, modernistic looking buildings, you know, something of the ilk of the gherkin or of mm. the shard, you know, that kind of status building. Yeah. So I knew about that. And I also knew there was an F1 race that happened. So the fact that the driving here is very relaxed and the opposite of F1 mm. is quite an interesting contrast. But Baku itself, I really liked it so far because actually it's not at all limited. There's some really interesting modern architecture buildings. And I'm talking about your glass and concrete sort of skyscraper. There's one which has just been built, which is in a like a crescent shape. Okay. There's the flame towers. There's another building that kind of looks like it's a set of cubes on top of each other. But amidst all of that are the stately sandstone buildings from the the late 19th and early 20th century, which were built during the oil boom. At the turn of the 19th, 20th century, so around 1900, Baku was the biggest oil producer in the world. There was immense wealth here and people built fantastic mansions out of this honey-colored stone some of these buildings almost look like they're hogwarts others a bit like the bodleian library in oxford and so there's this very special contrast between really pretty old statement buildings and really Mm. pretty new statement buildings and then there's an old town nestled in the center where i am right now which has a few mosques which are really uncommon in azerbaijan that's something we should talk about perhaps next week yeah but it took me two days before I saw my first mosque and that was not what I expected no Hmm. intriguing so we'll have to find out more about that next week and also more about the time that you're spending in 
Baku. So are we going to speak to you before you leave Baku? I think that's very much the plan. I've got um, a bit of time I'm going to be spending here to get my visas sorted for the way ahead. I'm heading across the Caspian Sea, hopefully to Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan. But for the time being, I've got this amazing opportunity to get to know Baku a bit better. Before we say goodbye to you today, I'm quite keen to hear Pippa's take on the time that you spent cycling across the Georgian border into Azerbaijan and all the way to Baku. So let's have a little chat with Pippa. Let's bring Pippa. Pippa, it's great for you to join us. And obviously you've been on the back of the bike for at least the last 11 days since Mm -hmm. um, Tbilisi. Yeah. What is your opinion of Azerbaijan so far? I think it's been really surprising as a place for me because um, it wasn't really on my radar. I think for a lot of people, um, particularly in Europe, it's not really on their radar. And I think that meant that I hadn't really built up any expectations of what it would mm-hmm. look like or what the people would be like. And everything very much came as a surprise, particularly in terms of just how it looked and how different it was from anywhere anywhere else I've ever been. Did you feel it was substantially different from Georgia? It was super different to Georgia. And I think my first experience of crossing a border through land, and I think when you have that immediate contrast, it's really powerful to see quite how distinct countries can be. And how has the last 11 days been for you on the bike? I mean, 11 days of cycling back to back. Luke said that's the longest he's done. And yeah. I mean, he's been doing this for a year and a bit. But for someone that's coming and joining on the back, that's a lot of time to be spending cycling. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Kate, I'm not a big cyclist myself, um, (laughs) having not really cycled at all. Um, (laughs) But I think in some ways it was easier to actually continue every day and sort of have momentum Mm. um, rather than stop and start. And I think once you're into that rhythm, it's really, really enjoyable. And I think it really helped not focusing on getting to Baku. I think Luke probably felt that I was focused on <laughs> on that end destination. But I think the moment you start changing course and diving into different parts of the landscape, you just enjoy what's around you a bit more. Yeah, because we hadn't planned on taking a, a detour up into the foothills and to visit Shecky, which is a part of the old silk roads and mm-hmm. joanna lumley went there for some bbc assignment okay. but i think that's when it takes on a bit of a different character mm. what did you enjoy most about being on the bike i really enjoy and i always think this comment sounds incredibly banal to people that cycle a lot but um just moving a lot faster than walking yes. and you just cover a lot of distance and so i think that means you see lots of different landscapes in a day and that feels as though the day is very full in a way that, you know, if you go for two hours on a walk, you're probably seeing the same patch of grass, largely. <laughs> so, yeah, it's quite a different experience. Now, Luke commented earlier that roughly 90, 95% of the people that you passed through the sort of countryside areas were male. How did you feel about that? And did you find that people treated you differently to how they treated Luke? I think it was really obvious the moment we crossed into Azerbaijan from Georgia, where there are lots of women on on the street or there are equal numbers and there are lots of women driving. And in Azerbaijan, you don't see any women driving and you certainly Ah. don't see them on the street. And that is a real absence. And you feel it as an absence, I think probably more as a woman. Yeah. 
I think what was surprising is that that didn't necessarily mean that then everyone's staring at you. I think they just see you as a as an anomaly. Mm. And something that I definitely noticed is I tended to feel as though the men didn't really engage all that much mm. with me if, if I tried to interact. And they were far more focused on interacting with Luke, yeah. where I think it was more known territory. Mm-hmm. And there were times when I would come into an all-male zone, like the cafes and the sort of gaming rooms, and there was a bit of a sort of hushed silence. They didn't quite know what to do, but it wasn't hostile. So it's that very weird space where it's not negative, but no one really knows what to do, I think, in in that instance. So it wasn't that you felt you couldn't go into the cafes, but it just felt like you're entering a an unfamiliar area. I think to be honest, if I hadn't been with Luke, I wouldn't have felt very comfortable because you feel that absence. And there were a few occasions when I went for a walk by myself and within 10 minutes, you are getting glances and you are the only woman on the street Mm -hmm. and you walk into a place and either there is a sort of hushing Mm. or there's outright laughter in some instances. And so that can be really uncomfortable depending on your mood. If you're Mm. you're willing to see it as being funny, then it's fine. But it's not always comfortable, I'd say. What about, would you see children out and about on the street playing? And if you did, would you see boys and girls? It's a really good question. I think what was really striking about arriving in Baku is suddenly you start seeing couples. You start seeing couples on benches and you start seeing younger people in their 20s hanging out. But before that, I really saw very different crowds. I'd see pairs of girls walking down the street occasionally or groups of four boys. And it was very much, there was a clear separation. That feels to me like a massive difference, particularly, Mm. you know, from Western Europe to Azerbaijan. That's a huge, huge cultural difference there. Yeah. And I don't know if Luke mentioned, but there was a really interesting moment where we passed a very small village and we passed a military parade, no. which was a group of a hundred or more. I'd really describe them as young men or boys, even, mm. you know, sort of late teens or 20s chanting in military uniform, some national epithets or sort of yeah. Yeah, slogans. And that really my takeaway from that was, you know, this is a country for men. Um, And it's being reinforced now. Wow. It was interesting passing that parade that their shouts, there is something I felt incredibly stirring about that shout, which is done in unison and everyone Mm -hmm. is stomping together. You can see how powerful it is and how it binds groups, particularly, I guess, of young men together in Mm -hmm. terms of, you know, creating that, that bond. But I guess I saw it in a way of like, wow, I could imagine being part of that and really being kind of, carried along where is Pippa I don't know if that kind of feels quite Mm. threatening I think you know the fact that that is clearly an all-male space and when I talk to someone about military service which they do have here women Mm -hmm. do not are not involved in that military service so you do have a very clear separation of roles within the society here and that is reflected both in the street and in a in a professional capacity as well wow okay so obviously it's a very culturally different place you've seen like a large stretch of Azerbaijan now what are the things that you think are going to stay with you as you prepare to go back to the UK again I think something that's really interesting about Azerbaijan in contrast to somewhere like Georgia and perhaps Moldova Romania other places that Luke has been is that there is a resistance to absorb western influence so you don't right. see 
Starbucks in yeah. anywhere other than Baku. We've seen maybe two Starbucks in Baku, uh, mm-hmm. one McDonald's, but generally there are no Western chains and yeah. there is not much English anywhere. Mm-hmm. And there are not Western sort of styles and fashion. And instead they're turning much more towards Turkey for influence. And that's, I think, really positive to know mm. that actually Western influence and in sort of American culture, British culture isn't completely pervasive. And mm. you see newer countries in some way, Azerbaijan, it's a newly formed independent country in many ways. And I think it's developed its own distinctive direction. Um, okay. So that's something that I sort of have come away with. Yeah. It's very easy for us, I think, in the UK to assume that the majority of places do look mm. like us. Yeah. But obviously Azerbaijan is not not like that. Yeah. And it's interesting, like throughout Europe and throughout the European Union, yeah, you do see the same shops. Doesn't matter which major city that you're in, but there are your McDonald's, your KFC, your Starbucks, but then also your Zara. You know, they are across Europe. And then you move, I think, largely beyond the European Union and those things die away. Mm. I think it's a very good thing, really, that we don't have an entirely Mm. homogenized culture across the entire world because life would be very boring if that was the case yeah definitely so have you got any tips then for anyone who's thinking about coming out and joining Luke on the bike when they're able to or someone who'd be keen to join Luke on route because they happen to live on route what's your big takeaway what's a positive and a negative about being on the back of the tandem I'll start with a tip which is that if people like me are chronically afraid of the cold warm socks okay Um, yes so fluffy socks cold feet is not good and I think generally in terms of just a positive or something to to sort of take away is just throwing yourself into everything that comes Mm -hmm. with with this trip whether you may not love camping you may not love swimming in okay I know you love swimming but (laughs) for some people swimming in cold water is just absolute horror and I think you know the idea of eating peanuts butter and porridge may not seem like the most um, appetizing breakfast but I think to try things not your way um, Mm -hmm. and to try things which aren't necessarily a natural preference is is really great yeah and throwing yourself into that and so anyone who's listening and is interested in joining Bristol to Beijing Luke you think you've probably got another year left on the bike you'd say maybe something like that (laughs) there's probably plenty of time for people to be able to join if you are keen do drop us an email or drop us a message via social media we'd love to hear from you and Pippa I've got to ask you said you've got to be sort of flexible to the way that I do things what would you say is one way that I could do things differently (laughs) on my journey dangerous question and Kate's Mm. face is um yeah visibly excited I'd be interested to see you let someone cook for you in a camping setup and yeah trying out a different experience passing over the reins there probably i'd be interested to see someone else on the front of the tandem <laughs> yeah that's a great one how did that one go Pippa? <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay it wasn't great we lasted about two meters before it collapsed but we tried <laughs> well at least you tried and maybe next time it'll get better okay well it's been great having you joining us Piva on the Bristol Beijing podcast and I hope you enjoy the rest of the time that you've got in Baku. Thank you. (laughs) 
And that was this week's episode. I really hope that you enjoyed it, and thanks so much for listening. We put a lot of time into the podcast, so please do support us by subscribing, reviewing, and rating. And please send in your questions that you have about any aspect of life on the road to Bristol to Beijing on social media. Until next week, goodbye.